God is so very gracious to us. You know, sometimes as human beings, we have that sense and that notion uh, that psychologists call performance orientation. And that we have to do things to a certain level and in a certain fashion in order for uh, God to approve of us. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. God is a God of grace. And grace is what? Unmerited favor. It's not favor because you did well. It's favor just because God is good. And as we were just talking up here, I, I was supposed to announce the hymn, Angels from the Realm of Glory. And, you know, sometimes I just, my mind just doesn't go where it's supposed to go. <laughs> and I, I was telling Alicia, because we had talked about it, and um, it's like, oh, I know we talked about it, but I thought you were announcing it. And she said, no, you were announcing it. And then Jason said, yeah, Greg, you were supposed to announce it. <laughs> but God is good. And, you know, the thing is, when we mess up, when we, when we blow it, God is still good. God is still loving. God is still looking upon us with favor. And I always try to recall that in my life because there are so many times that I mess up. And, and in the, the, the message this morning, we're going to be talking about the kind of life that God wants us to live in Christ and the reality that each one of us as Christians experience of having a good shepherd, someone who looks out for us, who is truly, innately good. How many of you remember the old 60s show? It might have been on in the 70s too, uh, Candid Camera. Oh, just about everybody, okay. Sort of like the first reality show, I think, maybe. Um, There was an episode once where... uh, they brought in to a very prestigious prep school uh, some, some people who were posing as career consultants. And these career consultants tested some of the students. This was an all-male uh, prep school. Uh, tested some of the students, brought them through extensive interviews with the notion, the students had, had this idea, with the notion that they would be given some recommendations about what their career path ought to be. And so after all of this preparation, all of this examination, all of this interview, uh, they brought in the candidates, the students, and of course they had them on the camera, and they were filming this, and they would tell each one of them, after all of the thorough review and examination and, and uh, understanding of uh, your skills and your abilities, we have come to the determination that, and of course the, the student is there thinking, I'm going to be a bank president, I'm going to be a, a lawyer, I'm going to be a physician. The candid camera uh, employees would say, we find that your best suited pursuit is a shepherd. And of course the look on all of these High-achieving, upwardly mobile young men was one of shock. Shepherd, what? How does that fit into my life? You know, because it, in, in the West, in America especially, the idea of, of shepherding and the idea of a shepherd is a bit foreign to us. But in the Mideastern culture, they understood what a shepherd was. And in fact, in the nation of Israel, they absolutely understood that. They knew 
that the Lord was their shepherd. David, their great king, wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me into green pastures and brings me to still waters. So they had this understanding of God as their shepherd. And throughout the Old Testament, there are references to their political and religious leaders being shepherds over them. So they understood the idea of shepherding and a leader having that responsibility to provide for, to care, and to lead the flock. Speaking of that passage in uh, Psalm 23, I want to show you a, a video clip uh, from Ray Vanderland. He's a, he's a wonderful Bible teacher. He's a guy I've been familiar with for a long time. Actually, Patrick and his Wednesday Night Life group uh, shows these videos, and then the, the, there's a discussion over the videos. But Ray Vanderland is a very good teacher, and this is a clip on the biblical concept of green pastures and what that means. So, Patrick, if you would uh, go ahead and run the video right now. As part of a shepherd lesson, I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not, this is called wilderness, midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a Westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance, so you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly, grazing what's there. Now, you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up, watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now. You can feel it coming from the west off the Mediterranean. There's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there. Just stunning. 
Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now that changes the green pasture image a little bit besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm gonna plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn, the shepherd will get you what you need for right now. 10 minutes from now, you trust the shepherd. Just enough. In John chapter 10, Jesus is actually dealing with what had occurred in John chapter 9. You remember the story Chris taught us regarding the man born blind and how he was healed and his growing awareness of who Jesus was. And ultimately, at the conclusion of John chapter 9, the man recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He understood that Jesus was Messiah and he worshipped him as the Messiah. And because of that, this man was cast out of the Jewish synagogue. The Jewish leaders would not allow him to worship with them any longer because he became a follower of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees who were with him heard Jesus say, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And the Pharisees said, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So as we move into John chapter 10, Jesus is addressing this hardness of heart that the Pharisees had that would cast a man born blind who was now able to see out of their presence, out of the ability to worship with them any longer. And so he uses this shepherd metaphor to communicate to them what God is really like. How God provides for His people and cares for His people. And He begins by uh, giving an illustration and, and stating that He is the gate that leads into the sheepfold. Now, here, here's what was happening there. Around cities, when shepherds would bring their flocks to a small village or a city, there would be sheepfolds that had walls or fences around them. And there was one entrance into the sheepfold. That was called the gate. And all of the shepherds would bring their flocks into the sheepfold for the night to protect them from wolves and robbers and thieves. And in the morning, the shepherd would come back to the sheepfold, would come to the gate, would call his sheep, and the sheep would know his voice. And they would come to the shepherd at the gate and would leave with him. If a different shepherd had come, those sheep would, who were not that shepherd's sheep would not respond to that shepherd's voice. Each flock of sheep knew their shepherd's voice. And this was a way that they had uh, created in order to protect their flocks at night. And Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the one through whom you must enter into the sheepfold and through whom you exit the sheepfold. Jesus 
said, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture, just as we saw the green pasture out in the, the, the wilderness. Then he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it to the full or abundantly. So I want to talk about this a little bit, this concept of abundant life, because it's very important, very, very important that we understand this. And, and, and the little video vignette will come into play here. What do you think of when you think of abundant life? What does that look like to you? In your mind's eye, as I say the phrase to you, abundant life, what do you envision for yourself? What does abundant life look like? Well, as we saw, the the sheep on the side of the hill um, might have what you would describe as anything but an abundant life. As Ray Vanderland said, what are these rock-eating sheep? And yet... Those are called green pastures. That's what David said the Lord would lead us into. So what is abundant life? Well, it's very important that you understand the Greek word for life that is used in this uh, passage. It's the word zoe. And zoe is different than the other Greek word that is used for life, more typically used for life, bios. So here in this phrase, we're, we're seeing the term zoe. And zoe is a, a word that speaks of the higher plane of life, spiritual and soul-fed life, not the natural life that bios refers to. So when Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, that they might have zoe, he's talking about a life that is not tethered to or connected to the natural life where the natural life is the primary interest or focus. It's a different kind of life. And he says that we'll have that kind of life, that Zoe, in an abundant measure. And that word, translated abundant, is perisos. And perisos in other places in the scriptures is translated as overflowing or full or exceeding. And in in my... uh, uh, Greek reference, it it describes uh, this word parisos as sort of having the impact of filling a a small paper cup underneath the flow of the Niagara Falls. That's what parisos is. It's overflowing far more than you could ever need. So Jesus says, I have come that you might have Zoe, spiritual life, in far greater abundance than you could ever imagine. So what is Zoe? What does it really mean? Because when you look at the Scriptures, and particularly if you you look at the New Testament, um, it's sort of interesting because some of the the leaders of the New Testament church and some of their disciples had anything but what we would consider an abundant life in a material sense. For example, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 goes through the litany of different sufferings that he had endured 
for the cause of Christ. One of those sufferings in Philippi, in Acts chapter 16. He had cast a demon out of a servant girl. He was thrown into prison, the third prison, the most deep and dark prison there in Philippi. He had been whipped and beaten, and he was in stocks. In other words, he was chained and could not move. And in the midst of that moment, at midnight, the Scriptures tell us that Paul and his companion Silas began to sing praises unto God. And that is Zoe. That is spiritual life. A recognition of where true fulfillment comes. Where does true peace come? Is peace the absence of conflict in our lives? The elimination of anxiety? The Scriptures say that thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In other words, when we focus our eyes, our minds, our thoughts on Jesus Christ, that's when we experience peace. That's Zoe. What about joy? Jesus said in John 15 that I have come that you might have an abundance or a fullness of joy in your life. I think that's what Paul was experiencing as he sang praises unto God in the midnight hour, bound by stocks with a back wounded. He was able to look beyond his circumstances and see that there was a joy, a connectedness that he had with God that transcended his circumstances. That's Zoe. He had it in an overflowing fashion. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said that love was the culmination of every gift that God has given to us. The Corinthians were very interested in the manifestation of a variety of different gifts that God had given to them. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that love was the substance that all of God's gifts emanate from. So for the Christian, the person experiencing abundant Zoe, love is the goal. Whereas for a bios, what is the goal for, for our lives? It's, it's getting things. It's a livelihood. It's possessing things. So it's far different to experience an abundance of Zoe than it is to, an ex, to experience an abundance of bios. Let me give you an example out of uh, the book of Revelation. There are seven churches that Jesus speaks to in the book of Revelation. And each of the churches receives commendation and um, some correction. However, there are two churches that receive no correction. One of those churches was the church in Smyrna. And Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, 
and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. So, so what Jesus just described this church was going through and would go through was extreme. It was extraordinary. They were poor. They had been afflicted. They were being slandered. They were going to suffer persecution for a period of 10 days. Some would be imprisoned. Some would even be killed. Does that sound like abundant life to you? I would think most of us would say, not exactly the kind of life I'm targeting. And yet, listen to what Jesus says. When you are faithful, I will give you life as the victor's crown. Zoe. So I want to dispossess you of the notion that abundant life is in the possession of things or in a position of prominence or in having things turn out just the way you want them to. Listen to what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. To the church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So this church possessed in a worldly sense, everything you could hope for. They had financial stability. They had cultural prominence. Everybody talked about them. And yet Jesus said he wanted to vomit them out of his mouth. Now, on a superficial reading, before we get to the part where Jesus says he wants to vomit him out of his mouth, this sounds like a pretty good church. They're rich. They have everything they need. They don't need to worry about where we are going to pay our bills from next week. They have everything. And yet Jesus said they're impoverished because they do not have Zoe. They do not have Zoe. The spiritual life, the focus on what is truly important, eternity. See, when we view things from an eternal perspective, everything in our life takes on a different view. If we look at our lives without the scope of eternity framing what we are going through, it can be very difficult. Or we can be led way off the path as the Laodiceans were and think everything is going well when in fact we are as far from Christ as we possibly could be. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He wants us to experience Zoe in a fashion that is like the Niagara Falls coming into our world, into our life. So I'm saying this because I think it is very important, even critical, that we understand what true abundant life 
looks like. Now, that's not to say that if you're well-to-do or if, that you, if you have everything that you need, that you are necessarily not experiencing abundant life. You very well may, may be. Abraham was well-to-do, had numerous flocks, and he was called the friend of God. There are many wealthy people throughout the Scriptures. That's not the point. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, to seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all of these other things will be added unto you. So it's a matter of focus and priority. In your life, what is the most important thing? What do you focus your eyes upon day in and day out? Is it the kingdom of God? Or is it something else? Now, if it's the kingdom of God, Jesus promises all of these other things, clothing, food, shelter, they'll be added to you. You'll have them in, in, the, necess- or in the degree that you need them. Just as in the illustration, the shepherd would bring the sheep to those places of green pasture that would feed them at that moment. But they wouldn't necessarily be able to just remain there. It wouldn't be, as Ray Vanderland says, a field of alfalfa. They had to trust the shepherd. And that's really where abundant life comes from. Jesus came, he said, that you might have life and have it abundantly. The abundance comes not from the field of grass. That's not where the green pastures are. The abundance comes, listen to this, the abundance comes from following the shepherd. Are you looking for a field full of alfalfa? Or are you looking to the shepherd? And trusting that the shepherd will provide for you what you need. And in that relationship with the shepherd, understanding, and this is what Jesus said in in John chapter 10, understanding that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He will provide his very life on their behalf. That the good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him. There's a relationship that exists between them. Interestingly, in verse 15, Jesus characterizes the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd in the same fashion, the same degree that exists between the Father and the Son. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, so the sheep know me and I know them. So the relationship is intimate just as it is with the Father and the Son. So the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep know the shepherd. That is where the abundance comes from. And this, in this season of Christmas, where there is so much focus on materialism, so much focus on possession, so much focus on having a, quote, joyous season based upon every all the... The, the trappings that surround Christmas, I want to say to you that the abundance of Christmas does not come from all of those things. The joy of Christmas does not come from having a glittering tree with numerous presents underneath the tree. The fullness 
of Christmas does not come in all of the carols that we sing. The fullness of Christmas, the joy of Christmas, the blessing of Christmas, just as it is with all of our lives, comes from knowing the shepherd, trusting the shepherd, having a relationship with the good shepherd. That's what he wants for us, church. He wants us to have an abundant life, but he wants that abundant life to be abundant Zoe, parisos Zoe, not bios. We may be blessed in a material sense. Many of us in this church are. But that is not the focus of abundant life. Our church's vision statement is John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And I believe in that vision. But we must understand what abundant life really is all about. It's about trusting the shepherd, relating to the shepherd, following the shepherd wherever he takes us. Sometimes our lives will be right where the little tuft of grass is. Other times there's only going to be rocks. But that's not what we're looking to as the sheep. We're looking to the shepherd. We're listening for the shepherd's voice because we know he will lead us. He will protect us. He will take care of every possible need that we have. And in that knowledge, in that awareness, is true life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of this word. We thank you for the abundant life that you have given to each of us in Christ. That parisos zoe, the overflowing ever-expanding, complete life that is focused on true spiritual riches. I pray that you would help each of us, Lord, to, to know that. Lead us as the good shepherd. Lead this church, Lord, into uh, fields that uh, provide for our basic needs, but more importantly, provide for our higher needs. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing hymn number 230, O Little Town of Bethlehem.